Legal discussion on Tip Today is brought to you in association with Lynch Solicitors Clan Mel on the web at lynchsolicitors.ie and at divorceinireland.com. And uh, delighted to have John Lynch from Lynch Solicitors in studio with me, even though he was very critical of the atmosphere in here when he came in. Well, I mean, you had all <laughs> it was the rather depressing. Worried. Was worried. Yes, it's, I'm just having Not one. Not that of, it's much better out there. I can tell you. <laughs> I'm having one of my days. Okay. You see, I, 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 I want to be all. Uh, closeted away in here. So what no you, text or <laughs> calls, What are you going to talk to us about, John? I'm talk. I'm going to talk to you about what survival of actions on death. So, does does a claim survive death? So, if you have a claim, does it continue on after you're dead or after you're gone? And if it does, under what circumstances does it do it? Uh, we we often talked about the common law. I mean, initially in in our uh, all legal jurisdictions, they used to say that it was better to be maimed than to die because if you were maimed, you'd be able to make an application for compensation, whereas on death you wouldn't, which is a rather crude way of dealing with it. But way back 1800s and the 1800 and whatever, they introduced legislation that basically said that there was and could be a kind of a class action in the event of somebody dying. And what I mean, I mean, there isn't such a thing in Irish, uh, in our legal system as class actions as such, but this probably comes as close to a a kind of a class action as you can get. I mean, you may remember we were talking about, I mean, if if you take the cervical cancer cases or you take the debris cases, you take the army deafness cases, all of those could be kind of classed no pun intended, as class actions without them actually being Mm. class actions. Because if you're in America, if you're in America and you're dealing with something, you would effectively go into a court, say to the court that there's quite a number of claims going to arise as a result of this particular circumstance, and the court then would make a decision and make a determination on the value and liability first, obviously, and then value secondly, and then you distribute it among the class of claimants. Now, in the case of uh, what we call a fatal accident, in those type of cir- circumstances, you do have a class action, and the class action is is basically taken by dependents. So, what the legislation says is that if you have a financial dependency on someone, and there's a familial connection with that person under those circumstances you can take an action and of course like there's three kind of strands to it the first one is who can take the action the second one is under what circumstances can you take the action and the third element of it is what's the level of damages or how do you calculate damages so if you stay with the the first one which which is you know what's the class you know, it raises interesting questions like, for example, who and how f- how f- wide does the class come or how wide is the class? And, you know, it, it includes children, spouses, parents. It would include, for example, if you had a child who was in loco parentis or with whom the deceased was in loco parentis. So loco parentis is, you know, the old classical kind of Latin phrase for in this in the place of the parent. 
and if you're in that situation then you can become part of that class or that mm. group and then of course if you take the modern scenario now with uh, cohabitation and if you take the scenario of the referendum that we had on on marriage and if you take co- cohabitants that enter into a cohabitation arrangement they all come within the class uh, that can take this make this take this action but I think before you get there, you kind of have to ask the question on what basis and when can you take an action as a result of death? And that raised an interesting question. Actually, when the last edition, there's there's the Bible. If anybody out there wants to read a book on the law of tort, which is the law where you where one individual can claim against another individual in the event of either breach of agreement or breach of contract or a civil action arising out of an accident, whatever. There's McMahon and Vinci, which is one of, you know, it's literally our Bible, and it literally looks like a Bible. It's so big that I'd say if you brought it into court law and you threw it at somebody, it would have great effect. But uh, that book, that piece, raised the question, since its last publication, raised the question about, you know, does, you know, if you run out of time, Let's say, let's say the deceased is involved in a road traffic accident and let's say it was and suffered personal injuries and if the deceased had a claim, like in medical negligence, for example, and let's say the time ran out, so, you know, you know that like one of the kind of the big talking points, actually it's been a huge talking point in the last couple of years, and literally in the last year, there have been two very important decisions on it. But there's, there's a huge question as to how long can you wait before you do something about, you know, mm. an accident or whatever, mm. which is the statute of limitations. And the question that arose with fatal accidents was because you can take and make a claim. And again, I'm not sure when I started, I talked about you know, that it used to be that you couldn't and then they introduced legislation. Well, in Ireland in in 1961, they introduced the Civil Liability Act and that legislation introduced your right as a dependent or as a class of dependents. They introduced your right to make a claim on behalf, if you like, of the dependents Mm. because of the death of the deceased. They introduced this this, if you're right, entitlement to make a case or to make a claim. And the question that had came up for decision within the last couple of, literally, I think it was literally, it was Hogan uh, J uh, who made the decision, who's now gone to Europe, but he was asked to make to make a decision. If somebody ran out of time to make the claim, does the fact that you have an entitlement to make a claim under the Civil Liability Act start the whole thing again? So in other words, even though you're out of time, the fact that a death arises, if you know what I mean. So let's say you die, usually you have two years to make the case. So let's say you don't make the case within the two years mm-hmm. and you die, let's say, two months later. Does Is there a brand new action that arises as a result of the death? And can is that a standalone? Can right. you do it in its own but right? But is that if the death is related to the accident? Oh, yes. Yes, and okay. Again, yeah, you're right. Yeah, the third part of the, 
the equation that we were talking about is who can make the action and under what circumstances can you right. make the action. There has to be a, an actionable wrong. In other words, take your medical negligence case, for example, like there has to be a, as a result of right. negligence. And, and what dies. happens then, John? Say you had your, 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 your claim in because you hurt your back or something, Ooh. but you die of a heart attack in, 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 in a company. What what happens then? Yeah, good question. That I mean, that's that's the nub of the question as to under what circumstances can you take a case under the Civil Liability Yes. So your question is, can I take a case under the Civil Liability Act just because I died? Well, the answer is no. You, the death must be as a result of an act of negligence. So, for example, if you're involved in a road traffic accident, and let's say as a result of that you suffer heart problems and die as a result of mm. those heart problems which were as a result of the road traffic accident then you're entitled to right. make a case under the Civil Liability Act in other words not so much you are because unfortunately under those circumstances you're not you're gone of course but yeah. your dependents can but if you're in a situation that you're in a road traffic accident and and I had uh, a case right on point quite a number of years ago which uh, you know, it was really unfortunate. The poor devil was involved, was walking across, well, I think it was the Western Road, but I won't be any more specific than that, and was knocked down and was, was hurt, very seriously hurt, as a result of the, the being knocked down. And we took a case based on the fact that he, he was literally almost at the footpath when he was struck by the oncoming car. So we took the... We took the, and the car was on the wrong side of the road, we took the action, but the poor devil died before uh, the case came to hearing. Right. And under those circumstances, because he died of a totally unrelated uh, injury, if you know what I mean, not injury or mm. cause, mm. Then, the, then the action died with him. Completely? Yeah, except, except for his out-of-pocket expenses. Right. So, in other words, if he had medical expenses that arose as a result of the accident, if he had lots of earnings as a result of the accident, and this poor old devil was a retired man, so he didn't have any wow. real losses. So, unfortunately, under those circumstances, right. but I'm talking about a situation where, again, go back to your road traffic accident, and let's say somebody, as a result of the accident, suffers an injury mm. and then dies as a result. And the interesting thing about it is that it can... Like you talk about road traffic accidents, there was a case, for example, that's cited in the textbooks where this young man took, I can't remember the drug now, it was a fairly well-known drug, so well-known I can't remember it, but anyway, there was a drug that he took for acne and he was 19 or 20 years of age and as a result, of he's on it for about four months and he suffered depression and as a result of depression, he took his own life. So the poor uh, man, under the circumstances you're talking about, they took a case because it was a known side effect to the drug that you'd suffer from depression and they, w- they took an act. Now, the interesting thing in that case was, which of course was, is, is one of these niceties of, of law, if you know what I mean, it went from the High Court to the Supreme Court. But the Supreme Court were dealing with the question which is literally, <clears throat> if you like, not hugely relevant to what we're talking about or the kind of nuts and bolts of what we're talking about. But at the same time, kind of, it was interesting just because of of the fact of the circumstances of the argument that was being made. And <clears throat> what happened here was 
the defendant, the person who against whom the case was taken, uh, literally put up the hand and said, OK, right, we accept liability. And what they did was they said, well, we're going to pay for, and this is the, the other part of the, the jigsaw in this particular scenario, is how do you assess compensation? So let's just say for us, for the minute that we're, we're not discussing how do you assess it, but what they did was they said, OK, we're going to pay you so much, you were going to pay you X which figure, which was correct, right? So they did their calculations, offered the figure to the person who was making the claim, as in it was the father, I think, that was taking the case on behalf of the dependents. Because don't forget, you're, it, because it's a class action, it's for everybody. Right. So you end up dividing, if you like, whatever the compensation is. So, but the, the father said, no, I'm not taking it. I want to run this case all the way. I want to find out what, what happened here and I want to highlight this, etc." Now, <clears throat> and the interesting thing was that the High Court said, no, you've got to take the money from the defendant. And they appealed it. And the Supreme Court said, no, no, this man is entitled to bring this case to a conclusion. The fact that there's no, that there may be no discernible difference between what he gets from the court and what he's been offered by the defendant is neither is here nor relevant? there. Yeah. Which yeah. I think is really, like it was, uh, it almost stopped me this morning when I tried to refresh my notes to read it, to go into the detail of it, because it's quite interesting that to a certain extent you kind of ask the question. It reminded me a little bit of another scenario that comes up in a completely different scenario, which I thought didn't, made no logical sense, and it was where, do you know the way if you have your house and you have your mortgage, and let's say, I'm not saying the jewel, but let's say you borrowed money or something and you didn't repay it, and they went off and they registered a judgment mortgage against your house, and let's say your house was worth 100000 and you owed 100000 to the bank that gave you the money to buy it, and then this, these other guys, you owe them twenty five grand or something. The High Court recently were involved in a case where even though the person who had the 25 grand borrowings went off and looked for an order for sale of the house, even though they weren't going to get anything. And and the court said, yeah, fine, they're entitled to do that. And you kind of said to yourself, that doesn't make a huge sense. Of sense. Yeah. But at the same time, maybe there's some logic in it. I don't know right. that I'm missing. Well, but they were entitled to do yeah, it anyway. Which is let, let me take a break, John, and uh, we'll be back in just a moment. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Welcome back. John Lynch from Lynch Solicitors in Clanwell with me in studio. We're going to go back to, I suppose, where we started out in some ways, John. Yeah. Um, the idea of, I suppose, who who, who? gets compensated yeah, who? in the yeah. event of a death. Yeah. yeah. And the who and what of the compensation, we, we talked about the circumstances under which you can get compensation. One of the things, by the way, what I think of it, that I think it's important to remember is that, remember we were saying that if you're out of time and you don't take the action within time, so let's say the poor individual we're talking about who commits suicide, let's say, no, it doesn't arise in that case, but let's say you've got a certain amount of time to take the action but if you're in a situation of say medical negligence and you knew that as a result of the operation that you were in serious trouble and that under those circumstances you should have taken a case and let's say it goes on and on and you eventually uh, die as a result of it and you're outside the two-year period the question that the court was being asked was whether 
then you can start again, if you like, and whether there's a new period under the the Civil Liability Act and the courts decided that there wasn't. I think the thing to remember, and to and I think it's really important to remember it, is that on you know when you're talking about two-year periods, the date of knowledge is really key when you're mm. talking about medical negligence because the fact that somebody had an operation, say, four years before they died, you know, you might be mechanical about it and say, well, actually, you know, two years have passed, so therefore they're out of time. I think you need to remember that the date of knowledge is really important. Somebody may not have known, so the deceased may not have known that they had a right to take a case, if you know what I mean, or that there was a case to take mm-hmm. within the limitation period. I think that maybe that's me being kind of pedantic about it, but I think mm-hmm. it's important to bear that in mind. And I'm just wondering as well, John, and, and uh, just, just briefly, if you would, how nuanced it is. I mean, if, okay, we, we, we spoke about somebody having a back injury mm-hmm. and then dying of something completely different, and mm-hmm. then that case is out mm-hmm. the window. Mm-hmm. If that death, if, whether it was a heart attack or, or, or whatever, I mean, could you make a, a case that, you know, well, the the man got severely depressed after the thing. He wasn't able to work the way he would normally work. It led to stress and therefore it led to a heart attack. Is that very sort of, is that vague? Is it, is it tenuous? Yeah. No, well, that's the sign of a good lawyer is that you go and fi- try and find, no, sorry, that's been flippant about it. Um, you see, the question is one of fact and also one of facts supported by medical opinion. So if you can and go back to my little old man, lovely little man who was walking across the road and died of a heart attack uh, some, let's say it was about two years or so after. Now the case sorry, let me just be clear about that. He had that say he had the accident about three years prior to him, he died, prior to To his his death. death. Yeah. Yeah. He came in to me about, whatever, six months after the accident. We started the paperwork on it. So there was no question of him being out of time. The real question is your question, i.e. that if, if as a result, and it's a kind of a separate question, really, if you're, you're in a situation where somebody takes a case and during, as a result of one set of circumstances, well, let's not be vague about it. The road traffic accident mm. dies of the heart attack. And the question I think that you're asking me is, if, let's say, you were able to establish that the reason he had the heart attack was that being the type of individual he was, he became hugely stressed. That stress then resulted in the, his heart attack. Now, th- that comes back to kind of fundamental legal principles about what we call reasonable foreseeability. And it's a cracker because reasonable foreseeability is one of the kind of cornerstones of establishing whether or not the the defendant, the person who's responsible for the accident, is responsible for this particular outcome or this particular thing that happened. So if you can establish that it was reasonably foreseeable for this particular individual because of his particular personality or his particular medical scenario that this particular individual would have had a considerable amount of stress. So let's say if you were to take that situation, let's say you were talking about somebody who had a history of mental illness Mm. and as a result of that, if you like, 
uh, vulnerability to stress or vulnerability yes. to reacting. I mean, it brings in mind, uh, uh, I remember a, plain, a, a case that I had quite a number of years ago where this individual was going through a set of traffic lights Somebody, you know, it's like the old Irish joke, you know, the joke about the fella coming through the lights open, his brother wasn't coming the other way because both of them used break the red lights. But this poor man was in his car driving through traffic lights, lights were green and bang, he gets hit by a car coming from the other direction. Turned out that there was a flaw in the traffic lights, etc, etc. But this particular individual, as a result of that, suffered huge psychiatric, a psychiatric condition as a result of it, to such an extent that he couldn't drive a car again. Mm. Now, you see, that's a question of you taking the, as a, as a defendant, the person who's, who's, if you like, been asked to pay compensation, you take the person as you find them. Right, okay. So the, re- the answer to your question in a very roundabout way is it depends on whether or not you can get an expert opinion to say that this particular individual, as a result of these particular circumstances, would have had a heart attack, if you know what I mean. Right, okay. All right, so... Uh, so to go back then to who will... I mean, who can claim? Uh, well, the who we're... can claim is is relatively straightforward if you're a family member. Family Uncles member. and aunts and nephews and nieces, by the way, can't for some right. reason. But if you're uh, a former spouse, for example... That could be included. Um, anybody who can establish a kind of connection, familial, family connection with the deceased stepchildren can. Uh, it, it, it has a one really peculiar thing in it, and it uses the word uh, illegitimate child, which is no longer the case. Of course, but it's yes. under civil liability, 1961, which, predis- which w- came before the... What act is it? The, the act that legitimated uh, I can't it, I'm, mm. it's gone out of my head now but anyway to make a long story short if you can prove parentage okay. then you would be able to case right. so the, the the last part of the jigsaw is what can you claim for and that's it's a really interesting one because there's three different classifications of claim if you mm. like there's the statutory claim which we call salatium the Latin first, or well, you don't need the Latin solace. So there's a kind of a statutory figure that's put up there, 20 some odd thousand, which is distributed among the dependents. So that's kind of number one. Mm. Number two on it then is your your funeral and funeral and other expenses, other related expenses. And that was that's, uh, that also threw up an interesting one as well because there was a case, actually come back to that case we were talking about. Do you remember the one we were talking about where the father proceeded with the case to the Supreme Court yes. even though he'd yeah. been offered a certain amount of money? One of the kind of little kingpins of his argument was that he was claiming for the amount of research that he did for the inquest. Interesting. There was an inquest into the, his son's death and he did a, a, quite a significant amount of research and Hardiman, the late uh, uh, Judge Hardiman of the Supreme Court uh, handed down, he was the, the main guy who gave, out, gave the judgment, if you know what I mean, God, somebody shoot me for calling a judge guy, but anyway, he handed down the main judgment. One of the things that he said that was subsequently followed through by the Irish courts was that you could claim for the expenses of an inquest. So that's 
comes in under the other heading. Mm. And the other one, the, the, the funeral and testamentary expenses in Ireland, they've allowed for wakes, for example, and they've allowed for, yeah, they've allowed for travelling expenses, for example, by members of the family, see deceased, mm. uh, travelling expenses to come to the funeral, uh, funeral mourning uh, clothes, etc., which is, so they can be claimed. But by far, by far the more uh, difficult heading, not difficult, difficult is probably the wrong word, but by far the more complex area of, of compensation or uh, damages, is, yeah, damages, is the heading of what we call kind of financial loss as mm. a result of dependency. And that kind of is the one that's always quite difficult and you mm. end up in getting actuarial figures so for example this guy would be the breadwinner uh, correct yeah. yeah and or breadwinner and or and breadwinner of course raises all sorts of questions now in our modern day course, as yeah. to what constitutes the breadwinner and what constitutes the bread and you know I mean how much bread are you talking about and what do you take and what do you put on the bread but if you take a situation for example that and I remember quite well a case that I was involved in where uh, I seem to be talking about all the poor devils I represented. <laughs> but but uh, you, were, you were looking at a situation where the, the couple and uh, the wife died and they were in business together. They were business partners. Mm. And as a, as a result of the business partnership, there was a loss. Now, you couldn't claim for the business partnership loss under the, this heading. You could only claim losses that ar- arose as a result of dependency. Mm. And you see, because dependency is, is in the modern world quite a difficult one to assess sometimes, in this particular situation, you could get, you know, we were able to ground it on contribution of income to the family part. Mm and various other services offered by the deceased. But it, it reminds me of a case of a poor individual that I was representing who had, hadn't worked for years and years and years and um, basically his poor widow wouldn't have had access to a huge amount of money while he was around uh, for all sorts of reasons. But we were able to establish the fact that Despite uh, despite his inability, some to contribute from a financial point of view, that he would have been doing things around the house, around the garden, etc., etc. So you kind of deal with it in the context in of lots kind of, of services. Yeah. So, and how is the breakdown? Is there a sum given? Then is there, is it yeah, an overall sum? Yeah, it's an overall sum, and then that's divided by agreement between the parties. Oh, yeah. So right. you divide it around. Not under this heading of dependency, if you know what I mean, right, because yeah, the heading yeah. of dependency is going to be is going to be specific to the individuals, because the child, the husband, or whatever, they right. all have different uh, kind of categories of loss, depending. But the really oh, the, the, one of the more kind of tricky ones that you often have to look at are the deductions. Mm. I mean. Like, there was another one that, that comes to mind, that often comes to mind when you're dealing with claims, that's a real thorny one. And do you know the old uh, Irish kind of propensity to deal in cash? Mm. That can come back to haunt you. Uh, and that was the feature of 
one High Court action by a Supreme Court judge and another a Supreme Court action. It went to the Supreme Court and another one, it went right to the top of the pile, if you don't mean to deal with it. And the court was faced in both cases with a scenario where some, somebody was actually dealing in cash. So therefore, they were coming home and given... I, this sounds really somebody to shoot me for saying this, but anyway, bringing home the money and handing it to the missus, mm. giving her the two hundred a week or whatever it was in those days, and so the court was faced with the situation. Of course, in in and in both cases, there was no return made to revenue. So you're you're looking at a situation where the court is caught in this. No action. documentation. No. No paperwork. Nothing at all. And uh, wow. No, but. But not all of it. It wasn't mm. a question of, it's like it's the little bit of cash, you know, the, know, yeah. the bit of cash, yeah, yeah. the back pocket stuff. And the court in one case said, sorry, public policy says I cannot uh, allow you this film. But the Supreme Court in the other case actually did allow it to the, to the to widow. The- but said that it's net rather than gross, obviously. So in other words, yeah. she was getting 200 into her hand. The poor husband was gone. There was no 200 coming anymore. Mm. So the the Supreme Court kind of did a little shimmy and said, yeah, we'll give you the 200, but it's 200 net of tax. Right. And, that, and they avoided the conundrum of public policy because, and I'm not sure, I'm not too sure how that mm. will go now because the way things are, uh, in modern days is that you know yeah because uh, uh, that sounded very like an Irish much. solution just it for clarity though so. when, when when the 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 sum of money is is given who determines who gets what it's usually done by agreement but but who agrees the the the, the claimants the parties yeah so like for example if I'm acting for a group of claimants classic claimants right. you're going to have one kind of major claimant, usually the spouse, the, the, the spouse and yeah. the children. Yeah. But all the other cash gets, or you might have siblings for example, brothers and sisters, but you'll have, so you usually Right. Now you can, by the way, you can I haven't I haven't had reason to do it but you can simply ask the court to do it. Yeah. And the court will then make a determination based on, well that, bro- you lived with that, you lived with your parents or you lived with the spouse or those children are grown up and gone away, those children are at home, so therefore I'll apportion it accordingly. Right. I'm sure it could get very complicated though. Yeah. I mean, the, tricky, the spouse yeah. might decide, okay, I'm, I'm not happy with that sum uh, where I'm concerned. And well, I then, you'd ki- you'd, then you'd leave it to the judge. Ah, right. Okay. You know, right. when anything gets that sounds, tricky, that sounds good to me, to in fact. <laughs> John, it's always a pleasure. Thank Thanks very much, much. Thank John Lynch from John Lynch Solicitors in Clonmel. Back in a moment.